The opinions and views shared in this podcast are the opinions and views of the host and the host alone. They are not a reflection of his employer or any other organization that the host is a member of. The host does not speak for anyone, only himself. This is the I Am Pith Podcast. Get ready for contact. Man, I guess I'm back for another episode. I'm not going to make an intro today full of energy and excitement because I have neither at the moment. I am exhausted. Man, I ain't even going to lie. It's like four in the morning right now. My sleep schedule is all jacked up because of the last two weeks and I can't sleep. So I'm up and I was like, you know what I need to do? I need to get back to the people. Because it's been too long since I've done an episode. And that is because it is that time of year here in Louisville. It is derby time. Everybody else in the state is extremely excited. That is everybody except those who work for the Louisville Metro Police Department. Because it is the season of hustle, 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 grind, grind, grind. Work, work, work. No time and no day off. Man, I think this is day day number eight that I've been in this work cycle. And I did have one day off, but it didn't really feel like a day off because I had to cut the grass and I got this big ass yard and no riding mower yet. So <laughs> that was a work day as well. That was not that was not time off. But yeah, man, it's we are in we are deep in it, dude. We it's derby season, man, and it's been a crazy, crazy two weeks. And I said it's been it's been a blur the last few weeks. And there's just so much crap that has happened. And I kept kept thinking, I was like, man, I gotta get to my podcast, but I'm tired. I gotta get back to reading my audiobook because people keep asking me about the audiobook. I was like, I'm tired and I don't have time to do it right now. So hopefully I make it to Monday because Monday is the break point where Derby's over and we can all go back to our lives and I can resume your my normal scheduled programming for the Iron Pits podcast and get back to hustling on the audiobook for the Iron Pits book. But until then, I got a lot of work to do. Like as a matter of fact, today, like it's supposed to be my off day, but I am working the steamboat race here in Louisville for the Derby festivals. So, you know, it is what it is, man. It's this this is to be expected and I'm not going to whine or complain about it because it ain't just me. It's everybody this time of year. It is all hands on deck for everybody in Louisville that works for Metro government during this time of year. So, you know, it just, it comes with the territory of being an LMPD officer. Everybody knows derby time. You ain't going to be home. <laughs> it's just what it is. You're going to be working. Just thank God they're paying overtime because that's the only positive side of it. But even though that is the case and we're all tired and we hate this time of year, I got to be honest with y'all. I've really enjoyed the Derby stuff this time for the first time in a long time. And that is simply because I feel like we have some sense of normalcy, like we're going back to some sort of normal in our world. And it has been so long since we've had any sort of normal activity in the city. And man, for the first time in a long time, we had an event 
It was Thunder over Louisville. You know, that's the kickoff for Derby. That was last weekend. It was actually my weekend off to work. It was my weekend off, but I had to work with the SRT team here for our detail. And, man, I tell you what, it did something good for my soul being down on the waterfront in Louisville for Thunder over Louisville, you know, where you got the planes flying over all the military aircraft and the air show. And just seeing thousands of people out and about wandering around with families, having a good time, laughing, joking, eating horrible carnival food, and just enjoying life without a mask on their face. Man, it felt phenomenal. Being out amongst, I mean, thousands of people, man, and just being loved on by the public. Everywhere we went, hey, officers, how y'all doing? So good to see y'all again, and hey, welcome back. Hey, we love you. Thank you for your service. And it was so refreshing to be surrounded by thousands of people and not have them say to me, we're going to kill you and your family. We're going to eat your babies. <laughs> you know, it, it was really refreshing in a much needed change of pace because we've had we've dealt with so much craziness in the city for the last few years with the rioting and protesting and COVID. It's just we have lost sight of what normal is. And that chaos became normal. And now that that's all kind of subsided, I'm not going to say it's go away, gone away. It has not. But, man, it's a lot more people are out again, and we're getting a lot more love. And, man, it felt so freaking good, dude. I'm not going to lie. I mean, man, we we did a lot of walking that day. But, man, it was good to be amongst the people that myself and my fellow officers have sworn to protect and take care of, man, to see them happy unmasked and just living life and not worrying about COVID. It was a positive change of pace, man. I really enjoyed it. You know, I had to work the parade the other day, the uh, Derby parade. And man, it's been, it's been years since we've had it. And man, it was good to see people out with their families and their kids enjoying the Derby festivities. Even though this is the time of year, most officers hate. I can't see. I really hate Derby. Uh, I mean, I'm making money and I mean, Dude, I'm just walking around, handling, taking care of business if need be, man. But it was a good time, man. And I'm actually looking forward to this weekend, the, you know, working Thurby, working Oaks and Derby. It's it's a good change of pace. So, you know, it's uh, well welcomed. But like I said, I am exhausted. But despite, despite me being exhausted, you know, I'm, I'm embracing this moment because it's been so long since we've had these positive moments. And it ain't just about me. It ain't just about the police department. It's about the entire city, man. You know, we the city has been needing this and wanting this for for years. I mean, the things we take for granted in life and in our everyday lives, you know, and the things we take for granted every year, just like Derby. We you know, it's always been there for like 200 plus something years and all of a sudden it's gone. And it's like, well, damn. You know, what are we doing? And now it's back. And, you know, we got some people still complaining. You know, I ain't gonna have to complain a little bit, but man, it's, I'm actually really happy deep down that, you know, that we're back in the swing of things here in Louisville. So it feels good. You know, but despite it feeling good, like I say, it's just been, just been busy, man. Just hitting the streets, working. It's like a never ending days, man. Like people don't realize how long these 12 hour shifts are in a police car and, my Lord, <laughs> it, the days have been blending together like my schedule. You know, it's I'm coming in at different days each day and or excuse me, coming in at different hours each day. And 
I'm on this detail, that detail, who's riding here, who's going there. We got this person riding the beat, this person's doing that. And it's it's just mass chaos and confusion. And as much as it's been mass chaos and confusion, there in like and despite the fact that a lot of this has been a blur, man, there I can't even tell you all the craziness that this police department has gotten me into last week. I because of possible legal issues and ramifications and political, I guess, political ramifications because this is an ongoing thing and nobody's necessarily in trouble, but I have some personal feelings about this incident I was brought into that I did not volunteer for. I am not going to talk about it. Maybe at a later date, once this thing washes out and we figure out what's going on. So I am not going to comment on it at the moment. But I will tell you this, you know, one of the most important lessons I was ever taught in the army before I even went in. And when I got in, everybody always told us the golden rule in the military. You never volunteer for anything under any circumstances. Never. Well, I'm learning that that rule applies to the police department as well. Apparently, you never volunteer for anything. And me being the super nice guy, the company man, always trying to do the best for the PD and my fellow officers and new people and whoever. I was approached with an opportunity to volunteer for something, and I did. And then, man, this police department has dragged my ass into something unbelievable that I cannot talk about at the moment. But maybe down the line, I'll be able to tell you all, but put it like this. In my 13 years, I have never, ever, ever been sent home early from shift because I was so angry and upset. And it wasn't because I was out of line. It's because I was emotionally really, really upset and pissed the hell off at the situation I got dragged into. It was so much so that I'm writing a memo about this incident and my sergeants approach me because they hear me in the roll call room writing this memo yelling and cursing and my sergeants know me i don't get that upset i don't get flustered i really don't get that mad when i'm just yelling and cursing and screaming into thin air like i'm a crazy person you know because that's just not my character and not who i am but yeah this incident really really got to me <laughs> and they pulled me aside like hey this is why and i tell you this is why i love my sergeants and my chain of command where i work at in the first division but man they were like dex when you get done with this go home and that is exactly what i did man and i i was not in the mindset to be working and that just goes to show how we have some really good sergeants here where i work at man like they realize like dude this is this is the officer pitts we know this is the decks we know and we're not gonna let him go out on the streets like that right now because this dude is like really upset and i really really was so i'm not gonna speak on that any further but if the opportunity does arise, I will definitely fill you all in. But right now, I'm going to have to keep it tight-lipped for the safety of myself and a lot of other people involved. But like I said, it's not to crap on the department. I'm just trying to keep you all up to date on what's going on with all the craziness going on around this place, man. It's a freaking circus. <laughs> oh, man. And not even that, man. Like Just the past two weeks. I mean, this past shift I just got off of a couple hours ago. 
And I, I, I couldn't even sleep after I got off. I was so just too much adrenaline flowing, dude. And like, it was that type of day when I went into work on my shift yesterday where I could just feel it. I was like, man, it's going to be that type of day. And my God, was it, was it that type of day? And, you know, it's, it, it all started with me getting sideswiped by some innocent lady downtown. Well, I ain't going to say she's innocent, but a nice lady downtown sideswiped my nice new marked police unit, my Explorer. And then from there, I can't talk about it either because it's an ongoing investigation, but I ended up in a use of force incident <sighs> all in one day. It was a taser use of force incident, so can't really speak much further on it than that, y'all. But I will say this, my poor buddy, he was the acting sergeant that, that day. And, <laughs> you know, typically you get like one incident for one officer that day and it's like, ah, OK, we'll take care of it. But, man, my God, I'll be damned if you get two incidents that <laughs> from one officer <laughs> in one shift. And I was just like, oh, my God, this dude's going to kill me. But it wasn't my fault, man. It wasn't my fault. I was called to these incidents and people ran into me. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I've been. Uh, yeah, I, man, I don't know. I got off. last. I got off last night. First thing I did was pour myself a nice stiff shot of Elijah Craig bourbon and sat on my front porch to decompress because, my God, I have needed it. And I tried to sleep, only slept a couple hours, and hence the reason why I am up at like 4.30 in the morning, not able to sleep. I should have took a trazodone, but I did not, and now I am paying for it. But since I'm up, like I said, I want to take advantage of the time and this brief moment and pause in life at this crazy time of year and this season to get back in touch with you all. So I'm, I'm taking advantage of the time I have now. You know, and... I say, despite me being busy, I have tried my best to stay up to date with what is what is going on in the news and media. But I'll be honest, I'm out of the loop on a lot of stuff because, man, it's just I've not been able to keep track of anything. <laughs> you know, as I've heard grumblings of stuff going on just like earlier today. I heard, oh, you know, apparently the Supreme Court is getting ready to overturn Roe v. Wade. And, you know, that's the abortion case. In the Supreme Court. So I'm like, oh, really? Like, that's interesting. But to be honest, I can't speak on it because I don't know the context of behind it. Apparently somebody leaked the document. So I don't know if it's 100 percent true. And I don't know if it's 100 percent untrue. Don't know. So I'm really not going to speak on it. All I can tell you is what I heard. But I can tell you what I am aware of, that our wonderful leader, President Joe Byron, as I call him, Joe Byron, this man is trying to send $33 million to the Ukraine. Now, I have been keeping up with this one, and it looks like it's stalling and it might not happen. But, you know, it, it's so much easier, I guess, to spend money that's not yours. You know, it's so much easier to take your to, to, to take your neighbor's money and go blow it on whatever the hell you want. But when you actually work for your money, you want to spend it less. And I guess that's why our government just constantly sees fit to take money out of my family's pocket and your family's pocket and just send it to the people in the Ukraine. And that's not me being a jerk. You know, I care about what's going on in the Ukraine, you know, but homie, Mr. President, have you not seen all the issues we are facing here in our own country? And that's what gets me, dude. Like, how are we going to save the world 
at this point in time, man, and we can't even save ourselves. We have people barely able to afford to put gas in their tanks. People are having to choose between a tank of gas or a mill. People are having trouble getting to work. And then on top and on top of that, they're having daycare costs. Dude, inflation is through the roof. Why are we constantly putting other people before the American people, Mr. President? Like somebody make me understand in Congress, everything. When was the last time it was about the American people? You know, we go, you know, we go to extreme lengths to help people. And I understand that. But there's a reason when you're on a plane and they tell you in case of an emergency, and the little gas mask thing drops, the oxygen mask drops. Put yours on first. Then once yours is secured, put yours on your child or whoever's next to or whoever needs help. Because that is if you pass out and go unconscious, you can't help anybody. And the same reason we do not need to be sending $33 billion to the Ukraine right now, dude. I, it just it's no. It's a no. You know, I wish that we, the American people, could get a vote on this, but. Apparently, the people that we have voted for see otherwise, but hopefully this gets shut down. And I want to help the Ukraine, but let's, there, maybe there's other ways we can help. What are those ways we can help? I, right now, I'm not sure because I've not had time to research it. But just throwing money at people, throwing our hard-earned money at people. And when we have all these problems, I mean, we still have veterans having ongoing issues getting help and services. And there's even talk about them taking away from veterans services to help with illegal immigrants at the border. So we're doing that, but yet we're going to put everybody else at the forefront before our own people. That's ass backwards, man. And this is the reason why nobody cares about the federal government. This ain't about Republican or Democrat, dude. This is just about American government and politics in general. And if this doesn't have anybody up in arms, it should, man, because like I said, this is our money. Dude, I've worked, like I said, what, I think eight days now with maybe one day off, and I got a 12-day stretch a day, of, uh, and I have a 12-day stretch of work days I have to work. I'm making overtime, and all that extra money does not go to me. I get a little bit of it, but most of it goes to taxes. And shouldn't I have more of a say on what y'all do with my taxes and my money? You know, what if I don't believe in this cause that's going on in the Ukraine? Why, why should my money go to them when I'm trying to take care of my own family right now? I have bills. You know, my kids have needs. My family has needs. I have needs, you know. So, you know, that's insensitive, Dexter. You don't care about the people of Ukraine. I care about the people of Ukraine very much, very, very much. But you know what? Putting a little flag on your Facebook profile or whatever profile you got on social media, that ain't going to do nothing. You know what? Send a little bit of money. No, that ain't gonna do nothing. And I'm just not. I'm just not willing to get into it, man. I just don't. I. You know what? I pray for the people of Ukraine. Hey, but I got my own issues to face over here, man. And I gotta take care of me and mine first before I take care of anybody else. So I hope that the government does eventually learn that lesson. But I highly doubt it because their track record of doing so is awful. You know, like I said, you know, I haven't had a lot of time for a lot of stuff the past few weeks because I've been so busy. But when I am able to squeeze in some time to where I don't want to do anything, I just kind of want to sit on the couch and watch a show just because I want to decompress. 
I know what you're going to say. Well, you could have been doing your podcast and your audio book. Yes, I could have. But you know what? I didn't feel like talking because I spend 12 plus hours a day talking to people. And I didn't feel like hopping on a computer and sitting down in front of a microphone and doing a podcast you know, and doing a doing my audio book. You know, so I make time for, to start watching some shows on Netflix and whatnot. And I came across this show on HBO and I was very excited about it. It was called We Own This City. It is what I would call an up to date version of The Wire. Now, if you all have ever watched The Wire, The Wire is probably one of the greatest police shows ever. Of course, it takes place in Baltimore during the early 2000s, man. You know, with all the crime and drugs, man, The Wire was a phenomenal show. And I guess it went on for uh, I think The Wire was on from like 2002 to 2007. Man, I, I remember when I got out of the army. I was I started watching The Wire and I binge watched the entire series and I was like, yo, I really want to be a cop. Man, The Wire made me want to be a cop so bad, you know, and a couple other shows, but The Wire was just phenomenal. And it's in this new show, you know, it takes place in Baltimore as well, just like The Wire. And so for me, it's just so weird how. You look at TV shows from the early 2000s that are based on the same premises and you look at them now and how totally different they are. And it just shows you how much culture has shifted in 20, you know, 15, 20 years, man. It's just it's it's mind blowing. It feels like you see the transition. So like I said, no, The Wire started in 2002, ended in 2007. And it's crazy how the media's perception of law enforcement in that time has changed. So pretty much in the wire, you know, you have, you know, the drug dealers and you got the cops. You know, you have the cops are mostly the pretty much the good guys. The drug dealers are the bad guys. And, of course, you have a couple cops that are not really good cops, a couple cops that are corrupt. But, you know, it's like there's a fair, there's a balance to it. And that's what I really loved about the wire. It was it was real. It was real. And from now being a cop for 13 years and going back and looking at the wire, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But now this new show on HBO, the We Own the City, it is the complete opposite. It is pretty much Woketopia. All cops are crooked, evil and corrupt. And all, you know, all these other people are pretty much innocent. Yeah, they're, do- they're out here doing garbage. But you know what? It's all the white people's fault. They're doing this garbage. And then hey, we got over here, the cops that are, they're just bad people. That's pretty much the end of it. You know, and they're talking about the DOJ investigations and, you know, the dissent decrees going on in major cities right now. You know, and I watched one episode and I was like, you know, and I knew I shouldn't have because I was like, it's HBO number one. And with the way things are going, it's going to be woke. But. It just it had so much promise because I looked at the actors in it and I was like, man, this has got to be good. This has got to be good. And I wanted to give it a shot, man. I didn't want to just live in my little echo chamber, in my little bubble of I ain't watching that. I'm a conservative. I don't ever want to see anything. woke. so I turned it on and it was pretty much exactly what I expected. And don't get it twisted. This is nothing like the wire. So save your money and save your time. This is pretty much a we hate the police show. You know, black people are all black people innocent and all these crooked ass cops got to go. 
that's literally the gist of it at all. The, the whole gist of it, man. So, you know, needless to say, I will not be tuning back in. And I don't think I'm going to be looking for anything else to watch at this point in time, man. I'm really just kind of over all this stuff because there's nothing I'm seeing that's really drawing me in and pulling me in and make me just want to watch and sit, sit and watch a series. I'm finding more time to spend with my kids and my, my family, what little time I have. Of course, yes, daddy does want to relax and sometimes watch a movie or a show, you know, but man, the, today's media makes it so hard, so hard, dude. Everything's got hints of wokeness in it, and I just, you know, I just don't want to deal with that. But I mean, so, I mean, I did take my kids to the drive-in this past weekend. You know, I got off around like four o'clock and I was like, hey, let's go to the drive-in, man. <laughs> so I took advantage of that small moment of time, took my kids to the drive-in to have a good time because... You know, they know daddy's been gone, daddy's been working. And my wife looking at me is like, who's this stranger? Who's a strange black man in my house? I've not seen him. That's what it feels like almost when I come home, you know, during derby time, you know, because it's just, like I said, it's a never-ending grind, man. And even though I'm tired, you know, I've been I've been doing a lot of, I guess, self-reflecting or just looking back over the last 13 years of my life in law enforcement and just looking at where I started versus where I am now. And I was comparing who I was before I was the police and looking at who I am now, now that I've been a cop for so long. And not just that, you know, I've been looking at our, our police recruits and some of my younger and some of my younger colleagues, man, especially my partners, you know, they were only like, I think brought in my, my partner's like 23, 24 years old, man. You know, it's like, man, dude, I remember when I was that dude when I started on the PD. And shout out to my partner, Caleb. R.I.P. to that back. Oh, he messed his back up. Homeboy going to need a backyotomy. <laughs> so good thing is he's young, so he'll probably heal up and be back to work a lot quicker than me if that was me. So, <laughs> but yeah, you know, just you just don't realize, man, like they time in this profession really does fly by. Especially when you're having fun. And I mean, I can't lie. I've had fun 13 of the 13 years. You know, there's been stuff about the past 13 years that has not been overly fun. There's been issues in my personal life that have not been fun. But overall, man, it's been a blast and it's been a hell of a ride over the last 13 years. But, you know, I was really thinking like, man, how has this job changed me? And a lot of people don't want to admit it, especially a lot of cops. But you know, dude, this job does change you. The job changes all of us, man. And nobody is immune to the changes. Some people might try to lie to themselves like, no, nah, I ain't never changed. But that's not true. You can't deal with what we deal with on a daily basis and say, you know what? I've not changed. You know, you could be who you are. You could be. You know, A.A. Ron from the streets all day, dog. But once you become a cop, I don't have to try to change you or change your views or your politics. This job will do it for you. You know, when I meet new guys that think a certain way or they're like, you know, on the left or liberal, I don't say anything. I, I let you do. I let them do their thing because this job will teach you in itself. And if you don't end up changing, it's because you're not really doing the job. No, and it, you know the job's not really in you. And for me, my God, have I changed? Hell yeah, I've changed. 
a lot of my views and a lot of my perspectives have changed. And so what I want to do is I've gone, I've got a list of things that I've thought out in advance on how the job has changed me and it'll changed a lot of my views. And I want to share them with you all. And one of the first things I've realized that has changed about me personally and how I police, and that is my views on what it means to protect and serve. You know, that actually protect and serve is nowhere in the Constitution. You know, that is simply a campaign ad and slogan. I believe that was enacted by the Los Angeles Police Department way back. And it's just caught on like wildfire and it, and every police department uses it from now on. You know, it's protect and serve, protect and serve. You know, and I, you know what? I absolutely agree with that slogan, protect and serve. That is what we are here to do. But sometimes people get the word serve twisted. Say, I am a servant, not a slave. Big difference. <laughs> big, big difference. You know, some people make it feel, make it seem like I am obligated to give them a ride to the grocery store or I'm obligated to come to their house and get their kids up out of bed and make their kids go to school. But to me, that is not protecting and serving. You know, one of the biggest things for me was, you know, when I became a cop, you know, everybody becomes a cop. You know, they have the same reason. You know, I want to help people. I really want to protect and serve. And, you know, and me, I really did. Because if you read my book, I talk about how I was bullied for being dark skinned growing up and just I've always kind of been the underdog. And me, I really, really, really want to help people because I know what it's like to be helpless and to feel like you can't protect yourself or defend yourself or you're too scared and too afraid to. And so I really took on that, you know, that burden for other people when I became a cop and put on the uniform. And to me, I, you know, I had that Superman mentality as a young rookie officer. I was going to save everyone, even if they didn't want to be saved. You know, rookie officer Pitts was going to save your ass. No matter what you said, I was going to change your life with just one incident and one one liner or one liner. You know, I was going to kick in the door and come into your place and yell, I am the law and I'm here to save you. That was what I was going to do as a rookie officer, bro, because that's in my mind. That's what policing was, man. You saved the entire world. You know, but I soon realized that I'm not going to say soon. It took me about three about probably about year five, I was like, dude, I can't save these people. I, I can't save anybody. Hell, I could barely save myself at that time in my life because I was going through so much crap. And I just realized, like, yo, man, people are going to have to save themselves. I can try. I can offer help. I can do this for you. I can do that for you. But I can't change your situation. I can remove somebody from the situation for you. I can remove you for the situation, but at the end of the day, if you return to that situation, I can't be your Superman. I can't help you. You know, one of my favorite songs from back in the day, Project Pat. Don't save her. She don't want to be saved. Don't save her. <laughs> you know, that that literally became one of my theme songs when I was working on a lot of domestics and just working on a lot of incidents and scenes because it was like, and what can I do? Nothing. I'm here to collect evidence, separate witnesses, protect people, make sure that people don't get hurt. And I'm here to give you options and to help remove you from the situation. That is all I can do. You know, but you have free will as a human being and you are a free person living in America. 
And if you choose to return to this scene and this problem, there ain't nothing I can do. All I can do is be there when you call 911 and come back and remove you and help you again. And I will get caught up in this pattern, in this cycle of, of the toxic relationship or incident that you're in until you decide that you are tired of it. And I will keep coming back to help you in that moment. But I'm re realizing that I'm not really doing anything. I'm there to help you get away, but I'm not really affecting any real change in your life. You know, and having that Superman mentality, you know, it goes deep, man. It A lot of guys get that. But it, it's a rude awakening as a rookie officer when you realize, man, I'm not saving anybody. Man, maybe on occasion you actually get to save people, you know, pull somebody from a burning bridge or you find a kid, you know, that's been shot. Or, I mean, you get into one of these situations, you can actually help and save somebody. Yes, it does happen in this profession, but that is not the norm and not the average. You know, and also when I think about protecting and serving, I don't look at it as me just protecting and serving the our citizens from bad, evil people that are just regular citizens. I also take it on as protecting and serving people from the government as well. You know, so... That has been one of the biggest lessons and changes I've realized in myself, especially after the last few years in Louisville, dealing with the riots and protests. You're like, that's that's my thing, you know. And as a rookie officer, one thing I used to do was I used to write a lot of tickets, man. I used to write tons of tickets for running stop signs, you know, just, you know, expired registration and no insurance. Man, I was a very, very, very active officer. And in my mind... I was doing the right thing and I don't you know I wasn't doing it out of out of spite. You know, I was really doing it to, hey, man, you almost hurt these people. Here's a ticket. You know, you messed up. You know, go pay your fine. And now I'm not going to say I don't write tickets. I do. If I see something, someone do something in front of me egregious that puts other people's lives at risk and at stake, I am going to take action. And depending on your attitude towards me, it depends on if you will get a ticket. Or if you would get out with a warning or a courtesy warning, you know, all depends. But, you know, I realize that the government and our country, you know, as much as I love our country, our government is not the best operating. I think it's a lot better than most other places in the world. But we are not problem free with the way our government operates. Yeah, but for me, I look at it as what has the government done for this person? And what has the government done to help them in any aspects of their lives? Now, yeah, of course, you can look at somebody's life and see where the government's done little small things here and there. But overall, what has the government done to really help anybody? Not much. Not much at all. Yo, so I look at it as me also as a police officer, protecting people from government overreach and government outrageous government spending. Kind of like what I was just talking about with uh, Joe Biden sending 33 trying to send 33 billion to ukraine you know like i look at it as louisville metro government what they're doing with our funds and our money and what has louisville metro government actually done to help the people of louisville you know so i don't feel like the metro government especially the court system has helped the people of louisville all i see them doing is releasing these offenders back into the community and when they do that they're putting the community at risk you know so i look at it as the best way for me to protect the people I'm serving is to not stop them for these minor infractions 
and simply just give them a ticket, which puts money back in the hands of metro government. And so for me, I look at it as is that is me giving this person a ticket really, really going to serve that person? You know, as a rookie officer, I was divorced from all those emotional ties and, you know, alternate ways of thinking of, you know, this is a single mom. She's got three kids in the car. You know, you know, she's got no money. The tags are expired. You know, it's just like, man, if me giving a ticket going to help her situation, you know, and that's how I look at things now. But back then, that's not how I looked at things. I looked at things as very, very black and white as a young officer. And it was just a checklist for me. Oh, she ran a stop sign. Oh, she don't have insurance. Oh, she don't have a registration. Guess what? <laughs> You're done. You're going to jail. Like, you don't have a, you know, it's, it, it used to be so black and white for me. And now as I've gotten older in this profession and I realize like, you know what? I've been there. I understand. I know what it's like to have kids and be short on money. I know what it's like to, you know, try to get to the DMV to get your tags up to date, you know, but you're having this horrible time trying to do so. It's so all I always tell people on traffic stops, look, I'm going to try my best not to take money out of your pocket and put it into the hands of the government. That's not what I signed up to do. But if you cooperate with me and everything checks out, I'll let you go with a warning, you know, and that typically usually works out pretty well for me. And that makes me feel better at the end of the day, because the last thing I want to do is make someone's life harder. That's already in a hard spot. And also that that's not going to do anything for the profession or for their, you know, next interaction with cops. They're going to be like, man, these cops are dicks. These guys already don't have money, you know. So, you know, like I said, there's a lot of factors to consider. It can be very nuanced. And I mean, it's it's not all just simply cut and dry. I mean, there's a lot of factors that I go in to consider in making that decision. But like I said beforehand, as a rookie cop in 2010, I wouldn't have took any of these other factors into consideration. I was out here on the streets trying to protect and serve the people and do right by the, you know, the city and do all, you know, do right by the government and, you know, save people from themselves. Yo, but that's not that's not how I look at it now. I look at it as how can I truly best protect and not not just protect, but serve this person in a time when their life might not be in the best spot in the best place. You know, and I look I weigh is giving them a ticket really going to help them. Or is it going to hurt them? And how's it going to make them view us? Like I said, I believe in the law, but we have this thing in law enforcement called the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. You know, the letter of the law says black and white. You you know, you don't have this. You're going to jail or you're getting a ticket. The spirit of the law says, yeah, I can take you to jail, but I'm not. And that's one of those areas in my career where I realized recently I have truly grown and change my tone with the way I police. In the next area, I have grown and changed. Drugs. Oh, yeah. Everybody loves to talk about drugs. Everybody like to talk about that weed. The weeds the kids are smoking. That marijuana. <laughs> yeah, man. Yo, dude, I'm telling you, like, when I was a rookie officer, I could smell weed for miles. <laughs> car got weed that car got weed where that weed at bro hey give me the weed man you're going to jail dog everybody was going to jail for weed when i started ever i didn't care what it was i didn't care if you had a roach bro i was taking you man 
I'm telling you, I was <laughs> I was a terror to anybody that had weed. You know, I didn't, you know, there was no discretion for me. I'm say I'm the type of guy. I never smoked weed growing up. And so in my perception, everybody that smoked weed in my mind was automatically a bad person because I didn't smoke weed. Nobody I really knew smoked weed. My family didn't smoke weed. And if they were, they weren't telling me, you know. But, you know, hey, I just started thinking. I was like, man, you know, I remember just like weed was like the first step. And for a lot of officers, weed is the probable cause we need, that plain smell we need when, on a traffic stop to be able to get into somebody's car and search their car. And typically, you know, I smell I smell the weed, find the weed, get in there, then you start finding other stuff in the car, guns and weapons and all that, yo. So it's like, okay, yeah. So for me, weed became like, that was my drug. Like finding weed on a freaking traffic stop was like, man, oh, dude, you're going down. You're going down hard. I'm going you know, to put you behind bars for years for this ounce. <laughs> and you know what? And now I could give a damn. I could care less about weed. And I'm not going to say I could care less about drugs. Like, there to me, there is a big difference, you know. So, in America, you can go out here and you could drink yourself to death with a bottle of bourbon and nobody say anything, you know. But, you know, you step out with some weed, it's, oh, my God, he's smoking the marijuana. He's smoking that weed, you know. And, man, I used to love being on scenes of domestics and the projects and, you, know, you got the angry baby mama, baby daddy ain't been around taking the kid, ain't been giving his money, and she bust out with, he got weed, he got weed. Yeah, man, I used to be a little weed head patrol officer, man, but you know, now I really, I really don't care. I mean, it's pretty much been decriminalized on a local level, but you know, it's for me, it's that thing of, is it really worth it, you know, because... The stigma with marijuana is starting to kind of fall away slowly and slightly. It's changing, you know, and I've seen it change from when I started in 2010 to me. It was a felony in my eyes. I know they say it was a misdemeanor, but I was like, yo, nah, that's bro, you going away. You doing some time on this one, homie. But now, you know, I give people the benefit of a doubt. And I, you know, hey, man, I mean, our courts don't even take it unless it's over a certain amount. And it has to be in conjunction with another charge. So it's really not worth the the time to deal with it because it, it goes nowhere you know, and it's just everywhere and literally it seems like everybody smokes weed now it is what it is you know i'm like i said i personally don't i personally don't have the desire to do it you know but i mean just because you smoke weed man i don't think you're a bad person i drink bourbon that doesn't make me a wife beater and a drunk you know so i mean it's so easy as a rookie officer to just categorize people in Oh, they all smoke weed. They're all bad, you know, and that's and that's really not the case. You know, that's like I said, that's where that growth comes in your career as an officer. And, you know, and you're like, man, you know what? These are good people living their life, man. And honestly, I look at it like this. This is America. It's your body. and You are free to treat your body as you want, you know. And man, if you want to put weed in your body, go for it. You want to drink? Go for it, you know. Now, I'm a little different when it comes to harder drugs such as, you know, cocaine, meth, you know, fentanyl. You know, we got there's all different types of drugs out there. And I'm not going to say I am for legalizing all drugs. I can't say that. I really can't you know, because I have seen the effects of drugs on people and how when people get strung out on drugs, it's 
they will literally go to any limit to get that drug. And that includes hurting people and robbing people and depriving people of their property to support their habit. And so I can't sit here and say, yo, that a, hey, I think all drugs should be legal. No, I don't. I do still have somewhat of a moral compass, but you know, it's one of those things where it's like, man, like, has it really been successful? The war on drugs? What have we accomplished? You know, I mean, we've really not accomplished anything. You know, I mean, we have a current, you know, a heroin epidemic going on in the country right now. You know, there's people that are still smoking crack. Like it's 1980, man. And, you know, it's and it's not changed their lives. And when I, and I try to think, like, how has arresting this person really changed them? It hasn't. You know, and I mean, most of the issues I deal with on the streets with the homeless, a lot of people are homeless, but a lot of people are actually just strung out on drugs. You know, and does making it illegal change anybody? No. People are going to find a way to get it either way and constantly locking them up and throwing them in jail. Then they get clean for a second and get back out. And it's just a repetitive cycle, you know, and that's, you know, the drugs is one of those things where it's like, yes, if I can catch you, not for the weed, but for harder drugs like schedule one narcotics. Yeah, you're gone. You know, I got to take it. I got to do my job. yo. But at the same time, you know, this people have to realize that. Our cities, especially the larger liberal democratic cities, have made, you know, drug use so normal. I mean, let's say Biden was handing out crack pipes and smoking kits, you know, to people to, you know, to be fair and equitable. And then we have like here in Louisville, we have the needle exchange truck where you if you're a heroin addict, you can go to this needle exchange and get clean syringes to shoot up your heroin. And they're doing that to kind of curb the uh you know, the spread of the intravenous diseases and AIDS and HIV and all that stuff, man, and hepatitis, you know? So it's, I see the humanity of it trying to keep people healthy and safe. But I also see the downside of it of kids can't go and play at play, playgrounds because there's uncapped needles and syringes everywhere. And if a kid gets stuck with that needle, that kid could be infected with hepatitis and have to deal with that the rest of his life, you know? So it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm all I, I'm I'm all for legalizing weed. I at this point I really don't care. I'm all for it now, but I can't say I'm all for legalizing all drug use. You know, I something's gonna have to change with it. You know, maybe we need more resources to pour into people to help them get off drugs and get off the streets. I don't know. It's that is such a complicated, convoluted issue. You know that I just I don't have a solution for it. I see the problem, but I really don't know. The, I wish I knew the solution, but I mean, there's just not one thing you can look at and be like, hey, this is the solution for this. But it's it's not. I mean, we have a lot to deal with mental illness in that realm as well, man. And all that stuff goes into it. I mean, our mental health system has failed in this country. And when people can't get the help they need from, you know, from uh, these medical doctors for mental illnesses and medications, they self-medicate. You know, and that's where a lot of our drug problem comes from. And it's just a repetitive cycle that never ends, you know. And so for me, it's a that's definitely an area in my career where I have changed my outlook on, you know, to where, you know, and if, if you're honest with me up front, you got the weed, bro. I'll stomp it out, send you on your way, homie. I'm not going to ruin your day over and I'm not going to send you away behind bars forever over a little bit of weed. Let's say 25 year old officer Pitts would have. But that 38-year-old Officer Pitts, it's, to me, it's just really not worth it, man. But the stigma's starting to fall away. You know, and uh, on to the next one, I think 
Man, probably one of the biggest changes I've seen, you know, the job has changed me in the way is how I perceive other police officers. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you're getting hired, there's this one question that the police department recruiters and those doing the hiring ask you. If you see you and your partner on a scene and you see your partner take a candy bar from a gas station that's closed and the alarm's going off and he eats the candy bar, what do you do? You know, Man, when I was a rookie officer and trying to get in the police department, man, my f- initial response was, hey, you know what? I'm going to approach the guy, tell him, hey, you know, you can't do that. Take that candy bar, put it back. You know, and try to handle it at the lowest level possible. And I still believe in handling things at the lowest level possible. If I can talk to my partner, like, hey, man, that's stupid, bro. Why would you do that? You know, but and and, and I believe that's always the best, you know, recourse is handling things on the lowest level without having to go all the way up through the chain of command because we got other issues to deal with. You know, but now that I am older, now that I am 38 and now that I have been on the other side of this thing for a little while, my response would be different now because you know, it's for me, I look at it as I have to protect this uniform. I have to protect the honor of this badge. I have to protect this profession at all costs. And, and for me, and I guess now that I've been in the game a little while, I look at it different as if you are willing to steal a candy bar from a convenience store when nobody's around, it's just me and you, that what are you willing to do when I'm not around when there's a lot more at stake? You know, some people, man, it's just a candy bar, bro. It's just, why would you be? It's just a candy bar, Dex. It is just a candy bar, and that's the problem. And if you're going to do it in front of me, that's the other problem. You don't care enough about me to put me in a bind to where if somebody sees something or a video catches it and, and then they say, hey, Officer Pitts, we know you saw the candy bar. Him take the candy bar. Then why did you say nothing, man? And for me, it's a matter of don't put me in a bad situation to where I have to go report on you. You know, and, and it's also the fact of, like I said, dude, if you're willing to take a candy bar, if you're willing to steal a dollar or spend a quarter that does not belong to you, that you did not work for or own in this profession, that is a red flag, an extreme red flag for me. Like I said, when I was a rookie, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought it was a red flag, yo, but now that I've been around a while and I've been with officers and seen officers work that have gotten fired for doing stuff, and it's like, you know what? The signs were always there, but you just never noticed it because you just think, ah, oh, nah. It's just a small issue here. Ah, it's just nothing, man. It's just a small little issue there. Ah, that's nothing, dude. Just, you know, just kind of brush it off, yo. But now that I've been around a while and I love and care about this profession so deeply, I realize that these small signs have to be addressed immediately. And the fact that somebody doesn't care enough to do the right thing in that moment and an officer doesn't have the integrity to not take a candy bar that they didn't pay for, Brother, that is a major, major issue, major issue, because the candy bar is the only thing we can see. But what also gives me is what has this person done that we have not seen. And for me, you know, I'm not going to say I'm going to go snitch to chain of command. But, man, you know what? (laughs) 
I will bring up the issue and I will press the issue now, you know, because it, it, I don't see it getting better. If you can't make a small decision like that in reference to a candy bar, you know, you can't, you can't do this job. I'm sorry. And I know what everybody, man, you just, the, you know, the moral police, you just perfect and do it all right. No, I'm not perfect. I don't do it all right. But that I'm not tempted in that area, bro. Like that's, I care too much about the officers I work with and I care too much about the, the reputation of this profession and where I work to ever do that. Like to take a candy bar, to spend a dollar that I didn't earn, you know, dude, I just know. And I, I say, I'm not perfect people. I'm not, you know, but when I see small things like this, you know, I've seen, like I said, I've seen, but we've had officers on this department that I knew that I worked with and loved and respected for years or that, got caught stealing time. You know, they were falsifying records and freaking, um, you know, going and working all this overtime that they never really worked and end up getting caught. In my mind, I'm like, man, what the hell? And it's somebody I love and respect. And guess what? I still love and respect this person because I realized that he made a mistake. You know, he's gone from the police department now. But, yo, it's just like I'm sure the signs were always there. You know, and it's those little things, man. It is literally the details, the little things we have to pay attention to in this career field to protect our profession from people that would do, you know, harm to this line of work. You know, and it's we and like I said, if it's a candy bar, bro, I'm just saying, man, the people that make it not a big deal are the ones you should be worried about because we are the police. We are trusted with a lot of power. We are entrusted with a lot and we can't take that for granted and just, you know, use that power to go and do wrong. I say I'm not sitting here saying I'm Jesus Christ and I've not made mistakes on the work, but I will honestly say I have never taken anything on duty that I didn't earn or work for. You know, I'm that's just never crossed my mind. That's never been a thing for me because one, I'm terrified of getting caught of stealing. Like, dude, you read my book, I am Pitts. I talk to you all and tell you all about how I got fired from Win Dixie for stealing chicken, fried chicken. Yes, and so that sticks with me, man. And I am a, I'm gonna, say, I'm a buy the book type of guy, and I'm very linear when it comes to that. And I, and I tend to think very black and white sometimes, yo. But at the same time, I understand that, you know, we are officers and we have issues and we have financial problems and we have family problems. We have officers suffer from mental illnesses and. You know, just all types of other problems, but that's just just certain things that we can't allow in this profession. It's those minor infractions that later lead to major infractions. And we have to catch those things on the front end, you know, and that's like I said, that's one of those areas where I've really changed where back in the day I would have just blown it off like, oh, it's no big deal. You know, now it's like now it's a red flag to me and it's my duty as a sworn officer in this profession in this uniform to address those issues to that person and realize that, you know, what else is going on that we don't know about. So yes, if you hear it, yes. If you come work with me, I have high expectations and what I would expect you to have those high expectations for me as well. And the next thing that has changed about me, man, over time and off duty, man, when you first start this job, let me tell you, you are ate up with it. I, you know, I remember I used to be off on my days off at home, listening to the police radio. It was just constantly 
you know, having to be in the know constantly just sitting and listening to the police radio while playing video games or taking care of my kids because I got to know what's going on at work. And, you know, and I worked so much back in the day, you know, like I slaved away back in the day. Anytime I could get overtime, I would do it and I would work off duty, all these side gigs making no. And it's good extra income, man. I ain't going to lie, you know, especially when you're married and you got kids. Like, man, I need to get that money. You know, but, dude, I I mean, I had regular set off-duty jobs working at the hotels and construction sites. I mean, I never had a really had, really had a day off. That's why I'm saying I really can't complain now about not having a day off because, I mean, I mean, hell, you know, like over the last 13 years, I've probably worked more you know, then, than I am now guaranteed, but it's like, I just never, never wanted to be off. I always wanted to be at work and making money, you know, and now, you know, when you first start, you know, I didn't really care about the money and the benefits, you know, but now it's like, you know, you think about it and I've kind of reversed where when I joined, I didn't care about the money, but now that I have wife and kids, I care about the money and benefits, but it's not my driving force, but that money became a driving force to me as a rookie officer, man. And I mean, just go, I mean, anywhere making back when I started, I was like 25 an hour. That was like, bro, that's a lot of money. Like, hell yeah, I'll be there, you know, and you learn to neglect your family, you know, and you're never around. And it's always something's always more important, like making money than being spending time at home. You know, like you just ate up with the culture of police work. You know, like it's everything to you you know you love your family but you love making that money you like hanging out with your buddies you like going and doing cool stuff with your friends out in the streets chasing cars yo because you know we have you know we're just drawn to this profession man because it's it's so brutal and it's so fun you know but you don't realize what you're losing on the home front man and for me it has taken me 13 years in this profession you know to get to the point to where i am now where it's like I don't want your overtime. I don't want your off duty. You know, I've you know I've been getting job offers over the last few weeks of hey, it's derby time, you know, go sit at this hotel for a hundred dollars an hour. Well, I ain't gonna lie, I might end up taking one of them jobs. I'm trying to get this ride and mower dog. <laughs> I might end up getting a couple of them jobs this season, but man, no, but you know, literally like it just you know, I haven't really worked overtime in the last three months because I am tired. You know, I've been hustling. I mean, I've been burning the candle at both ends literally for 13 years. And I just really want to enjoy my wife and my kids. And I want to enjoy my new home. You know, I really want to enjoy life outside of the uniform. You know, it's just it's so weird how just when you're a cop, like you just you always have to be in the know what's going on. When I was younger, I was always in the mix. I mean, off duty, I would read emails. I would send emails and I would do you know, casework and all this stuff, you know, but, you know, when people would ask me questions about what happened to Louisville and I'd be so excited, I'd be like, yeah, oh, let me find out what happened real quick. And now it's like, I don't care. <laughs> you know, it's not saying that I don't care about my police work and what's going on, you know, but literally it's like, dude, I'm off the clock. I'm not looking at police stuff. I ain't looking at emails. I, I'm not going, I hate going to court on my days off and, and, you know, and to my civilian friends, listen, I love you all. And I know you all don't mean anything by it. But when you see me or another cop and if let's say we're in downtown Louisville and you see me, and you ask, hey, man, I saw a bunch of cop cars driving past me 
on South Dixie Highway, almost in Hardin County. What happened? Bro, I don't know. I wasn't working. I don't work out that way. I don't know. It's South Dixie. Of course something's happening. It's Dixie Highway, man. <laughs> you know, you know, hey, but people don't realize that, yo, and that's because, you know, I've, you know, I've created this culture with people where it's like, um, I know everything and I'm always know what's going on, but now it's like, dude, I don't even watch the news when I'm off, man. Cause it reminds me of work. <laughs> you know, I don't watch live PD, you know, I don't watch freaking uh I really don't watch much cop shows anymore because it just reminds me of work, but I said I did try to watch that one HBO show hoping to recap some of that glory from the wire on HBO. But my God, they felt at that horribly. But yeah, you know, I just, when I'm off, I am off, you know, and I now have that on and off switch and it's wonderful to have, you know, just it's, it's awesome because that switch has been turned on for 13 years, almost in constant police mode, constant work mode. And now it's like, you know what? No, Mm -mm. no, sir. I'm taking this day off and I'm spending it with my family. I'm going to relax because you know why? I've given 13 years of my life to this department. And what has this place really given me back? Nothing. Nothing. If if I was to die or leave, guess what? This place is going to keep going on and continuing on. And I will be just a name that used to work there. And eventually that name won't even be mentioned anymore because this place goes on without us. You know, and that's just one of those things where it's like, man, I've realized I've really changed in that area and I'm very happy. I'm sure my wife is very happy about that. And my kids, you know, they love seeing dad home more and they love seeing dad smiling and playing. So it's a good feeling, you know, to finally be at a place where it's like, you know what? The money's good, but the off time is better. The time with my family is better. You know, in another area that I've really changed from 2010 to now. 2022 politics and i'm talking on a national level and on a a work level with work you know it's man i used to be very 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 apolitical and i've never really been deep into politics especially when i first started you know i just that none of that stuff cared to matter to me i hear all the rumor mills on the department all the politics and stuff going on and you know now it's like my god you know, it's I hear about it so much more and I, I'm so much more in tune and in touch with it now because I see what it's doing to my department. So I care a lot more about that stuff now because I'm older, you know, and I, you know, and I guess it's I feel like it's my sworn duty to protect this country and it's my sworn duty to protect this department. But you know, I used to not care. And you know, now I I probably care too much about pol- political stuff at work and. It used to never stop me from doing my job. You know, now it's like I see the politics and it's like, man, I have I guess I have a lot more to lose now, especially in this day and age with the way things are and the age of wokeness here in America and Louisville. You know, it's like you have to pay more attention. And, you know, I used to never pay attention. You know, I was always one of those guys. Just do the right thing. You won't get in trouble. And a part of me still believes that. But at the same time, you're just realizing that doing the right thing means nothing nowadays. I mean, you could shoot somebody and be totally justified, but there's some woke, woke ass DA district attorney that wants to make a, you know, make an example out of you and they're going to put charges on you. And even though you might be innocent, you're going to still have to get dragged through the dirt. So, you know, I never saw myself being that guy, but now I see in this day and age with the way policing, well, the media's attitude 
in politics towards policing has changed, I realized that I could be that guy any day. And so guess what? I had to wake up. I have to get more involved. I have to pay more attention to what's going on on my police department. You know, and I'll be honest, I haven't been to any of my FOP meetings because when I'm off, like I said, I'm tired and I'm trying to salvage with a little time, but I'm still in touch with people that go to the meetings and I stay up on the notes and what's going on on the department. Like I said, beforehand, I was just like, yo, whatever. I don't care, dude. Do y'all thing. I'm out here. I'm doing me. I'm going to be the police. And now it's like, man, I got to pay attention because there's just so many changes that keep coming with the PD and it's get it gets hard to keep up. And all change ain't good change, man. And so now it's like I'm forced now to pay more attention to what is really going on. And back when I was a rookie officer, I was selfish and more so focused on myself. And now that I'm an older officer and I'm looking at officers that are young, the focus isn't on me. The focus is on them because they're in a different day and age that they don't understand. And me, I'm good. I got a retirement. I got medical benefits already from the military. So I don't have to care as much, yo, but I care about these younger officers and their careers. And guess what? Politics on this police department affects that. But it's unfortunate because I feel like politics should have never gotten interwoven into this career field. Because now we're at a time where officers are hesitating and afraid to do the wrong thing. And now officers are being held way more accountable than ever, which isn't a bad thing, but it's also not a great thing. Because, you know, sometimes the bar of accountability is so high that, you know, officers, man, we're not given any room for error. We're not given any room, you know, for, man, what was his intent? You know, did the officer mean to do this? You know, we're not given any room for that. It's just pretty much black and white. The officer was wrong or the officer was right. You know, we don't take the totality of circumstances into, you know, account for officers and the decisions they make. And so that's why I realize now I have to pay more attention to the politics on the department, even though I don't want to be directly involved, but I have to. And me now having a book, having a podcast and having a voice, bro, hey, now I'm in it, man. So I got to pay a lot more attention. You know, you can get away with not paying too much attention to politics when you're a rookie. But man, when you get a, you know, a mortgage, you got student loans, you got kids, you got bills, medical bills, you, you know, you have to be in tune to that. And that's just part of the change with not this police department, but just life. You know, that's the stuff that don't matter when you're a young man. You know, it starts to matter as you get older and you have your own family that you're trying to raise. You know, and uh, another thing that has changed me, this that has changed with me in this job is my level of patience. Man, I think I could almost say I have the patience of Job somewhat in this, <laughs> this point in time in my career. You know, if y'all don't know who Job is, Job is from the Bible. You know, God, Job was the man that had everything and lost everything. Like God killed his children and all his, you know, took away all his riches and took away his health. You know, just, but Job was just still steady and believed in God and was patient, you know. And so for me, man, I'm a lot more, I guess, laid back now than I was when I was a rookie officer. You know, like I was so high strung and, you know, and that's kind of how you're supposed to be as a young officer. You're supposed to be eager you don't, you don't become an officer and tell, you know, tell people, man, I want to go to the nicest, safest, quietest part of the city and police. Like, no, that's not what you do as a rookie officer. Like, yo, put me in the shit. Put me where everybody getting shot in the face. Put me in the game, coach. Hey, yo, but now it's like I still like doing that stuff. But my approach to dealing with these crazy, chaotic situations is 
so much more relaxed and like I said, I guess because I've been doing it so long now, I just I'm able to process stuff at faster speed and recognize people's movements and demeanors. And it was just I can see a situation coming and unfolding way before it happens because I have that experience time now. But also my patience lets me allows me to approach the situation a lot more calmer, you know, and a lot more not as aggressive. And let me tell I can still be very aggressive. I am aggressive by nature, but I've learned to balance that with my time. And, you know, just, I'm just not, I'm not, the, I don't want to have to fight everybody. I'm not in as great a shape as I used to be when I was like, you know, 25 and 30 years old. Don't get me wrong. I can still get out here and go dog, but you know, I'm just, I'm not trying to do that, man. So, you know, my, my approach is a lot more patient. I ain't gonna lie. Like my use of force I had the other day, if you watch my video, I don't really think my heartbeat increased and my voice never raised because, you know, I just, I've done it so long now. I'm just like, okay, oh, I see what's happening. Oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> well, call a sergeant. <laughs> you know, and just my patience is so much more now. And just, and my patience with other officers is, it's a lot more now too as well. You know, I used to get so short with people and just, you know, I am the law. You're going to do what I tell you to do. You know, and now it's like, hey, look, man, let's not, let's not go here, Okay. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm trying to get off early, man. I'm trying to go to Hooters with the homeboys and have some drinks. You know, and like, if you start fighting, man, you're going to derail that. You know, it's like, I just don't have that aggressive approach no more. And like I said, I guess that comes with time and experience. So, you know, me, when I first started trying to muscle everything and force everyone to submit to my iron will of being the police and recognizing the power that is before them and making them kiss the blue line ring. To now it's, ah, look, bro, let's just chill out, man. Let's just have a seat. Let's just talk it out. You know, let's be cool, man. Let's let's not go there, you know, and understanding that, you know, and listening to people and understanding that people are upset. People are angry. You know, I was, I was on a homicide scene the other day. Young lady, I don't want to speak further on it because it's still an ongoing case, but she, somebody she loved and cared about got shot in front of her and it died. And she was, I'm about to fight you, officer. You know, and I realized with my experience that, you know, she's not really mad at me. She ain't really going to fight me. You know, she's upset. She lost somebody she loved in a very violent incident. You know, so it's like, you know, my patience is like, hey, I understand, dude. I know you're mad. You need somebody to be, you need somebody to be mad at. You need somebody to yell at. Well, I'm here. You can yell at me. You know, and I'm sure a lot of people, uh, younger officers probably like, yo, she, why is he letting her talk to him like that? I understand. That's all it is. I, I've seen this before. I've been on this scene and this is just kind of how it goes. It's just part of it, man. You know, and so my patience is a lot, has truly increased, truly increased. You know, I will, I will do my best to try to talk to somebody as long as I can and necessary, you know, and to try to talk the situation down before I have a use of force incident. But at the same time, I also realized with my experience, some people just think you just can't talk to some people, man. Some people just don't want to hear what you got to say and you're going to have to take action. You can delay it as much as you want, but eventually you're going to have to go hands on. <laughs> so, you know, that's one of the, that's definitely one of those areas in my career where I realized that this job has changed me, you know, my patience, but it's so weird because, you know, my patience at work is a lot more than my patience at home with my family, which Lord knows I'm still working on it. But, you know, it's just, it just comes with the territory. You know, you expect people and especially for me in the military, you expect to tell people to do something. You expect it to be done right away. But 
you realize not everybody's military and six-year-old and eight-year-olds don't necessarily care. <laughs> so, you know, I'm working on increasing my patience at home in my home life, not just as not just in the uniform. And another thing that I realized has changed about me is, man, how should I say this? What the government gives me, for example, here in Louisville, we have take home police cars. Man, I remember as a rookie officer when I got my first take home police car. Oh, my God. I was in heaven. You're like, I just could not wait to drive that car like every chance I had. And it goes back to where I was earlier was always being in the know and always being on the clock. I loved being off and driving my police car everywhere. Loved it, man. I love having a car, police car in front of my house. It's kind of like signaling everybody on the block. I'm the man. What's up? Yeah, that's me. I'm the law. Yeah. <laughs> Your local na- friendly neighborhood officer, man, on the block. And man, I used to love that car. And now, man, I don't give a damn about a police car, a take-home car. I do not care. I mean, I just remember I used to, you know, clean the thing all the time. Man, you ain't just clean that car. You made love to that car the way you cleaned it, man. Like, yo, that was your baby. You know, now it's like, man, I look at that car and I'm like, I don't give a damn about this thing. This is a tool I use to work that the government loans me. You know, and so, you know, I just recently got a brand new Explorer. Well, kind of brand new. Somebody had it before me and they wrecked it. And it, it had 400 miles on it, yo. So it was like, oh, okay. So, you know, and me, when I came back in 20, uh, what was it, 2020, I was given an old Crown Vic. And guess what? I was happy. Man, my baby, my Crown Vic, yo, like people are like, man, why they got you in this old crappy car? Bro, I don't care what this place gives me to drive. I only need this thing for 12 hours a day. I don't care. If it breaks down, I don't give a damn. Know why? Because I don't have to sink my own money in it to fix it. And so, you know, I've, I've, I'm content with whatever. Like I said, having a car is not a thing for me. I just, it doesn't, it doesn't spark anything for me anymore 13 years later. Yo. So it's so weird. You know, I got this brand new Explorer pretty much. And from people telling me, people real butthurt that, you know, Dex got a new Explorer. You know, why he get an Explorer? You know, they fail to realize I've been around here 13 years. Yeah, I left and took a little hiatus, but I came back. You know, I got time in the game, dog. But I told them, I was like, look, dude, if they came to me tomorrow and said, Dex, we're taking your Explorer away and we're putting you back in your Crown Vic. Here you go, sir. Here's your keys. Give me the keys to 6106. I'm good to go. I don't care, man. You know, just you realize how as a young officer, you get so emotionally attached to shit that ain't yours. That ain't your car. It's assigned to you, but it could go away any moment. You know, so I just, you know, I'm at that point in my career where it's like, I don't care. You know, and I also look at it as, man, when I'm off, like I said, I want to be off. And if I'm driving that police car when I'm off, guess what? People don't know. This ain't a taxi service. They don't know if you're on duty or off duty. They just know you the police. And man, I, I got so tired eventually of trying to get places and being flagged down on my day off going to get some milk for my daughter, you know, and just, officer, somebody just robbed me over here. It's just like, bro, and I'm in flip-flops and T-shirt, bro, and shorts, dog. I can't I can't help you right now. I got to get this milk back to the house, man. My daughter's hungry, you know. It's just, 
you learn to take those things into account as a as you get older and you realize, man, you know what? I'm leaving this damn car. I ain't even parked my car in the driveway. I started parking my car in the garage. You know, and I tell you what, one of the best moments was when I moved out of county and I realized that I didn't have to have a police car parked in my driveway. Oh, my God. It was glorious, man. It was just it was a different feeling, man, because all I've ever known all these years is being the police and having my police car at my house and just driving my car to and from work. And I'll tell you what, man, been since we moved out of county and I'm now divorced from Louisville to where. When I leave work, like I'm literally not the police where I live at, bro. It is the best feeling in the world, man. And that car, I don't give a damn about that car, man. Like I said, if you know some people, and I said I understand the young guys being so emotional and involved with their police cruisers because it's their baby. Hey, I've been there. I see it, man. But at the same time, I realize this is a loner. This thing don't belong to me, dude. And I'm okay with that. You know, I don't want nothing the government's got to give me. Hey, give it to me to let me do my 12 hours and help people. But after that, I really don't care what they do with this car, man. Don't care. So if you are listening and you are butthurt about me having a new car, if they took it from me tomorrow and gave it to you, I'd be happy for you. I literally would not care. (laughs) Because, like I said, for me, when I'm off, I'm off. I just, I don't deal with it no more, man. Just... And it's good to have my own personal car that I can take pride in. That, that That's a different story. My personal car, I try to take care of it because I'm paying for it. Breaks down, it coming out my pocket. When I'm driving Metro government's vehicle, I don't make me a bit of difference what happened to it. I'm not going to go out my way to wreck it. But if it does just so happen, realize I'm emotionally detached from that thing because it ain't mine. You know, and speaking of driving... Another thing that has changed about me over the years you know, is the, uh, I guess my say my level of excitement, but that code three driving, driving lights and sirens, man. You know, like I'll be honest, and I guess it goes back to being patient and having so much experience, man. Like you know, you used to get a hot call, the tones going off, shots are being fired, yo, and it's just like, okay, you know, you, you know, back in the day, I used to go screaming code three. Of course using due regard but flying hitting the pedal to the metal i mean just floating down the street man just tunnel vision out you know now it's like i'm going fast and i'm getting there but you've never seen anybody more relaxed getting to a code three run a hot run like i just i've learned to slow myself down over the years and realize that man if i can't get there safe you know what's the point in going you know, and yeah, you, you know, you do what you got to do to get there, especially when an officer's in trouble. Hey, man, I'm going balls to the wall to get to my homeboy to make sure that they're going to be safe. But at the same time, like I'm not super tense. I'm not overly focused. I'm very, very, very relaxed, man. Like the adrenaline I get now is very rare. I 13 years worth of adrenaline rushes from car chases and shootings and fighting. You know, now it's like it's so normalized to me. You know, like <laughs> when the tones go off, I don't get a I don't get a rush of adrenaline anymore. I really don't. It's just a normal thing for me now. It's just and that's one of those things where I realized the other day I was like, man, like my heartbeat didn't even <laughs> really increase, man. It's like, my God, you know, that's how you could tell. Been doing this a little while, man. Yeah, I've been, like I said, 13 years. And, you know, speaking of that, it's almost I was almost disgusted with myself the other day at work because. 
my buddy called me. He's like, hey, man, I need help. We're looking for this dude. And, you know, he describes the guy to me and says he's got an open. No, they're trying to put open charges on him for an arson case. And before he's even done describing the dude, I'm like, oh, that's so and so. He was like, really? I was like, yeah, I know who exactly who that is. <laughs> and I was like, I'll be right back. And I went to where the dude was at that moment, got his information for him and sent it back to my buddy so they could take out first charges. And I was like, my God. I was like, dude, I've really been doing this too long. I've been out in these streets way too long, dog. Like, I didn't even get a full description of this person. And I just automatically, instantly knew who it was. And, man, <laughs> you know, it just shows goes to show, man. Like, you, when you're out here in these streets, man, you just start, you just don't even really realize how much you know and you unconsciously pick up and just how much you really retain, man. Like, yeah, my God. Man, it might be time for a break, y'all. It might be time for a vacation, man. <laughs> yeah, just so. But uh, lastly, man, the last area in which I've really changed and how this job has changed me, you know, it's my belief in the court system. Yeah, well, I ain't going to say a belief. I'll say my disbelief in the court system. You know, when I first started this job, I was all about locking people up and taking them to jail and getting justice. Because I believe in sticking by our victims and helping victims at all costs. And now I don't have that belief in the justice system anymore. You know, as a matter of fact, you know, if y'all recall, I was talking, I think it was one of the last podcasts I did. Uh, has it been worth it? I was telling you all the story of a lady that got assaulted and was almost killed by this guy on a case I was working. And I went to court and the, you know, the guy pled guilty and was going to do eight years and all of a sudden, I start getting these calls at work like, hey, you need to call this person who's trying to get their property released. And I'm like, are you serious? So this dude was going to do eight years, but now he's just been granted 10 years of probation after almost killing this little tiny old lady and stomping on her head. You know, dude, when I tell you, that's another thing that really made me upset, man. That, And it just crushes your soul. And it crushes your outlook on justice when this guy, a known predator, a danger to the community, is free to roam. My belief in the justice system when I first started was I'm going to get everybody justice. But I've realized over the years that, you know what, It'll just I can't get everybody justice. I mean, this case was open and shut. Case closed, dog. But you know what? The justice system is broke, man. And my perception of the justice system then was a fair and balanced and impartial system. But now I see that the justice system is exactly the opposite. And it makes it hard to want to do your job. But that goes into me having the experience and realizing, you know what? I can't control the justice system. I can't control any of this stuff. All I can do is do my job and hope that the court system will do its job, which it time after time again has proven it does not. And now if this person goes out and hurts and kills somebody else, you know, the blood's not going to be on my hands. The blood is not going to be on the police department's hands. The blood's going to be on the court system's hands. And that's, you know, it's really disheartening. You know, like when I first started, I, I believed in the entire system. I believed in, you know, government and I believed in all this stuff. Yeah, but now, 13 years later, I see it all and I'm like, this is a damn clown show, man. And 
I realize that the victims in our justice system aren't the people who have been hurt by these criminals. I realize now that the victims in our criminal justice system are the criminals itself because this shift we've had in American culture, you know, it's, and it's so weird and so bizarre. And I've seen this change over the years, you know, just, and it breaks your heart, man. And you see it every freaking day. Somebody gets killed and somebody gets captured and somebody gets put on house arrest because of that murder. You know, you would think that we would keep these violent individuals separated from our society. You know, but we don't, but we constantly reintegrate them back into our society without forcing them to change or offering them some sort of, you know, rehabilitation you know, or some time in jail to make them sit and think of what they've done. You know, but that's not what we do anymore in this country, which is super weird, you know, and that's one of the biggest things in, about me that has changed, that has changed me and my approach in this profession, man, was just the justice system and the lack of justice. I tell you all, all the time, I hate Black Lives Matter. I hate the far left. Well, I ain't gonna say hate. That's a, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna say I strongly dislike and strongly disagree with them. But when they say that there's no justice in the justice system, they are absolutely right, and that affects all of us, you know. And you know, I, man, you know, hopefully I can get my wife here on the podcast. That's one of the one of the podcasts I want to have coming up in the future. Been trying to get her on forever, you know, but. I also want to get her perspective from the the wife of a police officer who's been with me since almost to be almost since the beginning. You know, I had wife number two at the start of this one. You know, she was number three. So, you know, <laughs> she came in like right towards the uh, tail end of uh, all my madness in my life. So but, yeah, you know, I just want to get her perspective on how I've changed. I know I have. I've definitely changed. And that just over the years, but really the most change has come to me within the last two years with the riots and protests, man. Like I can't even tell y'all like 2020 really changed me deep down. 2020 changed the way I see a lot of people. 2020 changed the way I see a lot of politics. 2020 changed the way I see myself and my family in this profession. And you know, the way I see this profession now is I'm still, more in love with this job than ever. I believe in what we do. I believe in this profession and I'm going to protect this profession. And, you know, I feel like a lot of people have been trying to find a way out of policing and I, I can't sit in judgment of them. I don't blame them. It's not the same profession as it was when I started, but it is still needed and it is a must in a society. We have to have people that will enforce the law. And unfortunately, we have people enforcing the law on, you know, the uh, criminal justice side, but we don't have the courts doing their behalf. So it's kind of like having a lion with a really strong roar, but no teeth to really go and do anything. And that's what it really feels like in this profession now. And it's it sucks because I see our victims all the time. and They're not getting justice, you know, but. That's one of those things, man. It just kind of comes with the territory. And I can only hope and believe that eventually the pendulum is going to swing. I mean, because we the amount of crime we're having now in our country and in my city alone, it's, it's unfathomable, man. It's just every time you turn around, it's a homicide, carjacking and people just aren't safe. And you have to wonder when are people going to wake up? I've changed. You know, the country's changed. man. Everybody has changed. But like I said, all change is not necessarily good change, man. And we are at a 
we're at an impasse and a crossroads right now in America and in this profession. And, you know, I'm, I'm not leaving anytime soon. And, you know, I kind of came to that conclusion the other day. I was watching some videos on officers that, you know, some famous officers now, you know, that are, that were officers in the past, but now they're like TikTok famous and they're, you know, they got their own things going. And I realized to myself, like, dude, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be, you know, the officer Pitts or, you know, the officer Daniels. And, you know, and these guys haven't been officers for years. I'm not looking for a way out of this profession. I am looking for a way to continue to serve. I am looking for a way to keep doing what I'm doing and protecting this profession and not just getting on YouTube and videos and talking about it. I'm trying to keep my skin in the game. You know, and I'm, I'm passionate about this job. I'm passionate about the people I serve with. I'm passionate about where I serve. And I'm not looking to get out this game, man. No matter how much money I make from my book or my podcast or whatever, you know, whatever else that happens, man, I'm not looking to get out of it. You know, I'm, I'm staying in this profession because I really care about it and because I really care about the people. So, you know, I'm going to keep doing what I do. We'll see what happens as things continue to move forward. And man, whew, I didn't realize it's been an hour and 28 minutes. My God, it's been a long one. Man, hopefully I can get some sleep after this. <laughs> so yeah, man, this has been the I Am Pits podcast. Man, thank you all for tuning in again. And like I said, I am sorry about the absence, y'all. But it's like I said, it's been hell <laughs> the last few weeks. But it is always good to be able to come before you all and provide you with a little content and hopefully I can continue to keep doing so, keep it fresh and try to keep being innovative. And like I said, I'm I'm trying to work on new ways of doing things and learning. But it is so hard to do when you have family and you have other obligations. But and this is a hobby for me. This isn't a job. This is a hobby. And I love this hobby. It's so fun. But, you know, like I said, I'm trying to find ways to keep it going and change it up. So I'm working on that. And like I said, I'm also working on the audio book for Iron Pitt's Memoirs of an American Patriot. Hopefully I'll have that done in the next couple weeks and hopefully Amazon accepts it because I know a lot of people out there have told me that they're just like me. They hate reading. Lord knows I hate reading. So I'm making the audio book for people just like me. And like I said, the book is out now. If you want a copy of the book, you can go to IamPits.com and grab your copy. And if you want, you can email me at IamPits at Yahoo.com and you can get in touch with me through there. And I'll tell you how to purchase a signed copy from me if you wish. And also the show is, you know, the show's rolling man. 10,000 downloads. Like I said, I never thought I would see that day. So I'm extremely honored by every download. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for listening to me and valuing my opinion. You know, I realize more and more today that, man, I'm just another guy out here. Just another voice. I tell you, nothing really special about me. There's just so many podcasts and books. I mean, Dude, I'm just one guy out of millions. I'm just one podcast out of millions. But the fact that there are people out there that are willing to download my podcast and listen to me from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. I appreciate you because there's so many other people that you can listen to that probably speak a little better, probably have a more professional show. And, you know, they probably got this and that better. But for some odd reason, you all see fit to keep coming back and tuning in to me. And I just want to say to you. Thank you. You know, this show is what it is because of you and because of you, I'm going to, I plan on keeping, keep on doing this. So trying to give you all a fresh perspective from somebody still active in the game, not just somebody that used to be in the game, but is out of touch and out of alignment. 
So that's what I'm going to keep doing. So, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the I Am Pitts podcast. Like I said, thank you all for tuning in. I love you all. You all be safe as the weather starts to get warm. And please say a prayer for your boy because I got like another five days to go. (laughs) And I am in the midst of a struggle. It's all aboard the struggle bus, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) I'll see you all on the next one. (laughs) 